43, an aluminum tree Christmas. I'm Merle Riedel, and you're listening to a December 5th, 2007 podcast from the Kansas Historical Society. In this podcast, museum staff reveal the story behind the story about artifacts featured on the Cool Things section of our website, kshs.org. For many, the 1950s was the dawn of a new era in Christmas tree technology, for it was then that the world saw its first aluminum Christmas tree. Metallic and shimmery, this hygienical tree could be manufactured in silver, green, or blue. Join Assistant Museum Director Rebecca Martin and me as we ring in the holiday season by talking about what could possibly be the worst aesthetic decision in Christmas history. Why was this Cold War-inspired tree of the future such a bomb? And what is the deal? Is the silver supposed to look like snow or what? Later, join us for another round of Six Degrees of William Allen White, Election 2008. This time, we connect the Emporia editor to Mike Huckabee, former governor of Arkansas and current presidential hopeful. And for a holiday bonus, we're connecting William Allen White to Pervez Musharraf, because nothing says Christmas like a Pakistani president. But first, an aluminum tree Christmas. In the spirit of the Christmas season, um, today, Rebecca, we're going to be talking about an aluminum Christmas tree. That was used in the 1960s by a lady named Bertha Havel of Russell, Kansas. This tree is roughly uh, six feet tall with wire branches that are covered in flat, bushy strips of uh, shimmery aluminum. Uh, my personal favorite part of this tree is um, is the trunk, which consists of two actual pieces of wood that have been painted <laughs> silver to look like metal. Real wood, because it looks realistic then. That's mm-hmm. true. And also, the tree has a rotating color wheel that lights it in different uh, colors. I don't know if people out there, I think probably most people know what we're talking about when we're talking about an aluminum Christmas tree. This one had a color wheel that was, I think, uh, shades of gray, green, red, and blue. So, you know, you could you could watch it shift colors every few seconds. It's pretty awesome. And it came with a set of blue uh, ornaments, I think, round balls. Mm-hmm. This aluminum Christmas tree uh, was intended to mimic an evergreen, like uh, like all artificial uh, Christmas trees. Um, how did the evergreen tree become a Christmas tradition? What's, what's the deal with trees during Christmas? Well, it has a lot to do with the winter solstice, which takes place on December 21st. And around that time, pre it goes way back, pre-Christian, not just pre-Christmas, pre-Christian, cultures would bring greenery into their homes because it was a sign of the spring to come. You know, winter solstice is the shortest day of the year. So after that, it's only going to get better, you know, if, if the gods are with you. And that was, from, from what historians can tell, that was a major reason for bringing boughs of evergreens into the house around... Um, December 21st. 
As far as historians can tell, though, the first Christmas tree, per se, appeared probably in the 1500s, that early. Um, but it didn't really become a common uh, tradition outside of Northern Europe until probably, oh, the 1800s. And certainly in America, you don't start to see Christmas trees until regularly until around the 1850s. In Kansas, by the 1870s, it was a common occurrence to have a Christmas tree in your church, uh, and you would hang presents for all of the parishioners, you know, You'd, you'd trade presents with your parishioners, hang your presents from the trees, and have a big social gathering. So, yeah, Christmas trees were actually very common uh, in Kansas by the 1870s. And the evergreen was chosen specifically why? Because it was the only thing green during the time of the uh, winter solstice? Uh, probably. That's probably true. Mm -hmm. um, at some point, it uh, looks like people actually uh, grew tired of dragging dead evergreens around, and they replaced them with artificial trees, like our uh, luminous aluminum tree. Ooh, nice. Thanks. Um, was aluminum the first material to be used in artificial trees? Actually, it wasn't. The first artificial trees were made of feathers, duck and goose feathers, in the 1800s. That and sounds like a You're fun smiling tree. because <laughs> are you smelling the bird or something? Yeah. Kind of sounds <laughs> I, I like bet, a miserable tree. Yeah, I don't think you'd want to get them wet. Um, <laughs> they would they would dye the feathers green. So again, you know, it's interesting to make this look like a real tree. Um, even though our tree's made of aluminum, it looks like a real tree and that it's shaped like a real tree. Um, well, so just, just out of curiosity, is the point of the aluminum tree to look like a snow-covered tree? Or is, is it just a completely different vein of aesthetics? I think it's it's a combination of things. This yeah, the snowy white, but you know, uh, you could get them in different colors too. I mean, in the fifties, you could get pink trees, which just kind of blows my mind. But um, yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, culturally, I think the. Uh, and I'm going to extrapolate based on my wide historical knowledge here. I think it had a lot to do with the space age in the 50s and 60s um, because people were looking at kind of metallic things, streamlined things. I mean, the first satellite was launched by the Russians in 57, and the first aluminum Christmas tree appeared in the Sears catalog in 59. So I think a lot of it had to do with that. Um, and also, people were into lighter colored things then, like blonde wood furniture, uh, white wood furniture, uh, and you know, metal kitchen cabinets. Uh, so there's kind of a hygienic thing going on there. You don't want to bring a dirty old tree in from the outside. You want a, a new, fresh tree that looks clean and shiny. And ours certainly does. Even when it's dirty, it looks clean and shiny. So you were saying some of the first artificial trees were made of, of feathers? Yeah, and, and after that, you'd it, probably in the early 20th century, you'd start to see some of the plastics come into play because they weren't around in the 19th century. So um, in the Sears catalogs, you see rayon. Uh, some, some Rayon trees. Yeah, rayon vis visca, which is a form of rayon. It's just cut into strips like our aluminum. I mean, you know, aluminum in its natural state does not come in. <laughs> does not look at all like the little feathery uh, shimmers, the luminous shimmers on our tree. Um, and so you see other plastics too, vinyls, uh, fiberglass trees, very common. And uh, one of my favorites, though, was in the 1958 uh, Sears catalog. 
picture Ginger Rogers as a Christmas tree because this tree looked like when it was all of nylon net and layers and ruffles cascading to the ground like Ginger Rogers in one of her uh, floaty dresses. And apparently the big selling point on this tree was that it was washable. You could just take it outside and hose it off when it got dirty. Um, but that fad didn't last very long, unfortunately, because it's pretty amazing to see the pictures of it. Uh, this tree dates from the 1950s to the 1960s. Um, why was aluminum the preferred material at the time? Well, again, I, I think it must have had something to do with the space age. I can't really account for it otherwise because there were certainly a lot of plastics available. Um, I, you know, it just it reflects light. It, it looks clean and airy. I wonder if there was something to do with aluminum, um, like a refinement, uh, cheapening of the refinement process. You know, like aluminum yeah, may have been know. more readily available or something. Like that. Well, and certainly it's post-World War II and before or during World War II, you couldn't get aluminum. I mean, everything like that was going for the war effort. And uh, we have some things in our collections where they were experimenting with aluminum foils during the war to do all sorts of different things. Maybe that's what you're talking about. It is, you know, the whole perfection of the aluminum foil process came about during the World War, Second World War and um, lent itself well to this kind of decorative object. Maybe we could hypothetically, you know, blame the aluminum tree on World War II. <laughs> Why not, Merle? We're both historians. We could extrapolate like that. <laughs> Because an aluminum tree is uh, truly something special to behold, yes. it requires uh, some special accoutrement. Um, and you talked a little bit about these earlier. Um, can you tell us a little bit about the decorations that were required for aluminum tree? Because you can't decorate it the standard way. Uh, well, it has to be garish. Is that what you mean? It, ha it has to. Your decorations have to be equally garish because they're going to get lost on the tree. Um, so something reflective and a color that's not the same color and the same shade as the aluminum, something that's going to stand out. And so you see a lot of, well, on the pages of the catalogs, there are red and blue balls that are the most popular colors uh, to go with the aluminum. And um, I'm not really sure why those colors. I suppose together with the silver, it almost looks patriotic, maybe. Yeah. Do you have any theories about that? I, I don't know. No. I, what I like is um, I like some, like the catalog we're looking at right now, um, they're so space agey and convenient that they like already come with decorations installed on them, <laughs> built in, built into yeah. the tree. You don't even literally. You can just pull it out of the box and it folds open. Yeah, we're looking at one now that's got pom poms on the end of each branch, and in the picture they're red, but it comes with I think it says blue also. So you could you could either do all red, all blue, or space interchange the, or you know space them equally or divide them equally. Which I think it's funny that they have to suggest that as an option in the description. You can do that. You can mix the colors. And it doesn't have any decoration on it except for those pom-pom ends, which is enough when you're looking at it. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's more than enough. It certainly gets the point across. There has been a great deal of debate um, in relation to holiday trees or Christmas trees um, about which one is better for the environment, the artificial tree or the real tree. Um, where does the aluminum tree rank in the scale of a green tree? And you mean green, yeah, not the color green. Not the color, no. Yeah. Um, well, I've read the arguments, and it's it seems like they're they're kind of. Uh, I mean, there, there are good things about both sides of the argument, good and bad about both sides of the argument. So in terms of the aluminum tree, I don't know. I think you could find both good and bad for it. I mean, you, if you're going to – well, one thing is you're not having to cut down a real tree to get an aluminum tree, and you can reuse an aluminum tree. 
the bad thing about aluminum is that you're going to have to consciously recycle it. Otherwise, you're just adding to all the, the pollution in the landfills if you toss out your aluminum yes. tree. But uh, it, you could recycle an old aluminum tree. That's what I'm thinking. I feel that the aluminum tree is the most green of all the trees because... We have the ability to recycle. I mean, take an aluminum can. You have the ability to cycle, recycle aluminum easily. So when you're done with your tree, it can be recycled, you know? Mm -hmm. Take your tree to the recycling bin. <laughs> you wouldn't have to stomp on it either. No, but you, you could if you wanted to. Yeah. <laughs> um, so there are both benefits and hazards when using an aluminum tree compared to a real tree. Um, and we, I hope, we have both compiled uh, a list of benefits and hazards. And uh, I would like to compare them, Rebecca. Okay. I'll go first. And now these are benefits in relation to an aluminum tree over a real tree. Benefits. Good for people with allergies. Unless you're allergic to aluminum. Oh. Did you think of that? No. Mm -hmm. um, aluminum tree does not require water. In fact, water could cause rust. Mm-hmm. True. Aluminum tree lowers your tensile expense. Um, and finally, it is resistant to fire and flocking. But actually, did you know some were flocked? If you look in some of the catalogs, which I think is such What is a, the point of flocking? I, it's, like gil, it's gilding the lily, isn't it? <laughs> Literally. <laughs> yeah. I don't understand the point either. Okay, so hazards. These are my hazards again. Um, not conducive to lighting. Yeah. I don't think you should string lights on an aluminum tree. That's that's why they have the color wheel separate from the real tree from the aluminum tree. <laughs> okay, um, an aluminum tree may attract aluminum squirrels. I like that. And uh, finally, the aluminum tree has a high potential to steal the show at holiday celebrations. Yes, I can see it competing with some of my jewelry, and I don't like that. <laughs> Okay, do you have any benefits or hazards? No, I didn't come up with any. I'm sorry. I didn't do my homework. I like your list, though. <laughs> Thanks. And now it's time for our holiday edition of Six Degrees of William Allen White, Election 2008. And joining me today is the Museum Assistant Director, Rebecca Martin. Season's greetings. And our Assistant Registrar, Nikayla Zimmerman. Happy Festivus. This week's challenge is to connect uh, the Emporia writer and newspaper editor William Allen White to Michael Dale Huckabee, an ordained Baptist minister and former governor of Arkansas, and he's currently a uh, Democratic presidential nominee. And, Nikayla, I believe you have come up with a solution. That's right. And I know we're hoping somebody will break this tie we've got going. I'm sorry to report, it isn't going to be Huckabee. No? Mm. No. Um, as a teenager, Mike Huckabee attended Boys State, which is a summer leadership and citizenship program um, established by the American Legion in the 1930s. Another famous Boys State alum is Lamar Alexander, who we know as the former governor of Tennessee, and he was also a presidential candidate in 1996 and 2000. Well, after he dropped out of the race in 1996, he served as an advisor on the Dole Kemp campaign. Um, when Bob Dole ran for his first term in the Senate in 1969, William Lindsay White threw a dinner party for Dole, which brought out many of the eastern Kansas Republican elite and was pivotal to Dole's success in the campaign. And, of course, William Lindsay White was the son of William Allen White. Wow, so yeah. William Lindsay knew Bob Dole. William Lindsay knew Bob Dole. That's kind of cool. Helped him get elected. 
Um, so that's a total of, of how many how many degrees? It's five degrees. Five degrees. Where, Rebecca, where does that put Mr. Huckabee in the William Allen White Presidential Endorsometer, also known as the William Allen White Scale of Electability? He's tied for last with four others, other candidates. Um, they have five degrees each. So we still have a four-way tie with four degrees of separation with Barack, Hillary, John, and Joe. It's tight. All right, and so as a Christmas bonus now, we are going to give you an extra six degrees of William Allen White. And then, Nikayla, I believe you have a funny story about discovering a connection between William Allen White and Pervez Musharraf, the president of Pakistan. (laughs) That's right. The other morning when I was getting ready to come to work, I was listening to NPR, and I was so excited when they were talking about him giving military power to a new general because the new general went to Fort Leavenworth. And I immediately thought, William Allen White! I can connect Pervez Musharraf to William Allen White. So this is how it goes. Um, Pervez Musharraf um, gave power of the military to Ajvat Kayani. Nice. Nice pronunciation. Thank you. And thank you, NPR. Um, <laughs> Kayani attended the Command and General Staff College at Fort Leavenworth, Kansas, which was also attended by Dwight Eisenhower, mm. who, as we've discussed before, was a friend of William Lindsay. And again, William Lindsay is the son of William Allen White. Mm-hmm. Nicely done. There you go. So if you go by that, it's five degrees, and he's as electable as Mike Huckabee. <laughs> wow. That's a little scary. The chief yeah. of staff for the Pakistan's army is as electable as, well, yeah. as by, half our candidate. By our scale. <laughs> Nikayla, can you co- connect William Allen White to Santa Claus since it is a holiday um, uh, episode? I might have to work on that okay. one. Okay. Yeah. I've got a couple of ideas, but we may have to use it in another episode. Oh, well, we can wait till next year. Maybe you could um, think about the Easter Bunny because okay, that's okay. coming up next. <laughs> okay. Or maybe Cupid. That would yeah, work. Cupid. Yeah, Cupid. Yeah. All right, uh, Rebecca, um, I believe you have a challenge for uh, the next episode's William Allen White, Six Degrees of William Allen White. Yes, uh, for our listeners, the next challenge is to connect Mr. White to Bill Richardson, the current governor of the Land of Enchantment, also known as New Mexico, and a Democratic (laughs) presidential candidate. Yeah, so I'm rooting for this guy to win because he has had like 80 different jobs in the federal government, and I think he's got to have good connections. Wow, he may break the he may break the four way. (laughs) He may go to three degrees. Uh, So 80 80 different jobs is that well experienced or flighty? Which is that? I don't know. Sounds like dilettantism to me. I guess we'll find out in the next episode. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So if you have a solution, if you have a way to connect. uh, Bill Richardson to William Allen White of Emporia, Kansas. Uh, just send that solution to podcasts at kshs.org. That is podcasts with an S. That's it for episode 43, An Aluminum Tree Christmas. Come back in two weeks when curator Blair Tarr examines a set of greeting cards handmade by a Topeka Railroad employee. Each year, this man painted over 300 Christmas cards for friends and family. Don't worry, I'm sure the cards you send out are just as good. This podcast is a production of the Kansas Historical Society. Real people, real stories. Real people, real stories.